Through their investment in the Minnesota Corn Checkoff, corn growers are fueling research and initiatives that build a more sustainable future for farmers and all Minnesotans. The Minnesota Corn Podcast introduces you to the individuals who are shaping future ag practices, identifying new markets, and promoting agriculture with the non-farming public. Our guest today is Kerry Sifferath, Senior Director of Global Programs for the U.S. Grains Council. Kerry, let's talk about corn exports. And when you see current prices above $5, certainly exports have played a part. But as you think about, I guess, going back to the 2019-2020 marketing year, the demand, uh, where it's come from and how significant it has been compared to previous years, um, I, I know China's been in there, but but how would you summarize uh, recent export business? Well, I mean, if we look at back at the 2019-20 marketing year for uh, USDA's marketing year for U.S. corn exports, um, you know, overall we had uh, it was a little bit of a down year. Uh, we had uh, 45.17 million tons or 1.778 billion bushels of over total corn exports. Um, our typical Customers, uh, Mexico is our largest, followed by Japan, uh, Colombia, and South Korea. Um, and so, uh, and we, you know, we saw, we had some, you know, strong competition between uh, Argentina and Brazil globally um, during that marketing year. Uh, and we saw a little bit of downfall in, in demand because of COVID uh, in certain markets, uh, maybe like Peru, um, where other other markets, Mexico or, or Japan, um, held fairly, at least overall demand held fairly steady. Um, what we saw towards the tail end of the 2019-20 um, marketing year was we saw China come into uh, into the marketplace and started buying uh, and even shipping U.S. corn. So that China became our fifth largest export market um, in the last marketing final marketing year, um, just over 2 million tons. Um, and so part of that was kicked off with uh, with the phase one agreement and, and some of the technical issues, especially basically giving us all of the GM corn events um, approval. So it was easy or easier to ship corn to China. Uh, and then just what was going on domestically inside China demand wise, which started to call for their need to import corn. Um, as we move into, you know, the, the, the current market year, the 2020-2021 market year, which started back on September 1st, um, we've seen, you know, a, a huge growth in, uh, in exports. You know, USDA is projecting, now projecting 2.55 billion bushels or uh, 64.77 million metric tons. So a large increase over, over the previous year. Um, and so that is in part, uh, due to, uh, China becoming, um, not just the fifth largest uh, market for U.S. corn today. It's, uh, it's our largest market for, for U.S. corn exports. It's, um, just, just ahead of Mexico right now as we look at the total, um, corn export shipments, um, about a million tons ahead of Mexico even. Um, uh, but then, <clears throat> um, a fair amount of corn sales on the books. To both China and Mexico, uh, so that increased uh, demand from China. And now, you know, while Phase One got this started off, it is definitely, uh, you know, internal demand that's 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 causing these 
um, exports to China to take place. We've seen a very large increase um, of corn price in China, even faster than what we've seen here in the U.S. Um, and so part of that is due to uh, they, they auctioned off a fair amount of their um, reserve stocks this past summer. Um, and so their their stocks are down. Um, and the re, re, um, rebuilding of their swine herd um, into more commercial type swine uh, units uh, with new facilities that are feeding a, you know, basically a, a feed grain or corn soybean meal based uh, feed ingredient or type of feed. Um, although we are seeing a little bit of domestic feed wheat um, now being used as well. But that, that new demand from, from China for, for corn towards the tail end of, of last year, last marketing year, and then into this year, along with continued strong demand from our customers like Mexico and Japan and Colombia and South Korea has really helped uh, boost, uh, boost exports and the outlook for continued export shipments throughout the remaining of this marketing year. Staying on China, Kerry, weather talk usually focuses on the U.S. and South America, but I've seen several reports over the, the last, I don't know, probably six six to ten months about weather in China, and I'm not sure how much corn they produce domestically, but but correct me if I'm wrong, they've had some issues growing corn themselves in China, right? Um, to some degree. I mean, there was a lot of, a lot of uh, talk and discussion around the, the, some of the flooding that took place. Um, along the Yangtze River, uh, that's you know that was more of a an effect on on rice production there. That's not really a big corn producing area for China. Most of the corn is produced up in the northeast section of China, kind of north of Beijing and, and north of uh, of the Korean Peninsula. Um, and then the what they call the Northern China Plain, which kind of runs south of Beijing down to towards Shanghai, that area in between there. Um, they did have some some typhoon come in and do, um, you know, damage similar to what we saw in, in Iowa with the derecho, um, but probably not quite as much uh, effect that we might have seen here in the U.S. Um, while you're seeing more mechanical harvesting in, in China these past five, ten years, they still have the labor force to go in and, and handpick that if needed. Um, so there, there, there was some effect by weather, but it's uh, I think it's much more of a, of a demand effect that we're seeing in China. Now, when we look at, you know, the dryness in South America um, and what that's done to uh, to slow down, the, you know, the planting and now the harvesting of their soybean crop and what that does to um, the uh, <clears throat> how quickly they get, especially in Brazil, they get the safrina corn crop planted. Um, we've had some dryness in Ukraine and, and Russia as well. And so um, <clears throat> we've seen, you know, Russia actually put some export um, taxes uh, or export uh, um, duties on, on wheat, but as well as corn. Um, actually, Ukraine is having meetings this, just today to decide whether they want to limit how much corn is allowed to be exported from there. Argentina had put some restrictions for a short period of time and then kind of lifted them. but. Uh, so we're seeing things where weather is, is scaring some of the major uh, corn suppliers and, and competitors to the U.S. market. And so that's that's definitely helping uh, drive uh, demand for U.S. corn exports as well. And just obviously the global weather issue um, has helped out uh, with, with corn prices um, and soybean prices uh, here in the U.S. 
along your your 1920 marketing year timeline, Carrie, you talked about China moving up to number five and then eventually displacing Mexico as the top destination for U.S. corn. I'm curious, have conversations between the U.S. Grains Council and representation from China changed that much in the past year or two? We see phase one. Uh, I, I don't know. There was also the trade war prior to that, so probably uh, some tension leading up to phase one. But how have those conversations evolved or changed, if they have at all? Uh, I mean, they have the you know prior you know the, during the the trade uh, the trade issues that were taking place between U.S. And, and, and China. Even prior to that, you know, we saw a fair amount of U.S. sorghum being sold, and we're still seeing a good strong demand for U.S. sorghum into China. Um, where a lot of this buying that we're seeing from China now, um, and part of it, it has a lot to do with how their tariff rate quota is handled for corn, uh, is being done by state-owned trading companies in, in China. And so we've had, uh, we've opened up dialogue with those, um, players in China once again, um, keeping in regular contact with them, uh, to make sure we can <clears throat> provide whatever service we, you know, we've, Reviewed the U.S. Grain Council's corn harvest quality report with the with the state trading firms there in China. Um, at the same time, keeping in in contact with the private sector traders and importers um, as their the new private sector tariff rate quotas for 2021 are now out and can be used, um, as well as uh, again some continued strong demand for U.S. sorghum by those private sector importers. And I, I don't want to get too off topic here, but with a new administration, what does USGC do in that transitional period to maybe get familiar with the the incoming leadership and some of those key appointees? I, I'm sure you're probably in the midst of that transition now, but but what does that look like? Um, well, you know, we we try to and have had very good uh, relationship with um, with the administration uh, post at, at U.S. Department of Agriculture and, and USTR, U.S. Trade Representative. Um, and so, you know, as, uh, you know, as <clears throat> Secretary Vilsack, um, has been, has, has I don't think, uh, has not been confirmed, but, um, and as his team gets in place, especially, um, as we wait to see who gets, uh, appointed to the Undersecretary for Foreign Agriculture and Trade Issues, um, which is a key, uh, uh <clears throat> sub, or, uh, a deputy or uh, Undersecretary, I should say, at USDA for the U.S. Grain Council. So we're, uh, we're, you know, waiting to see who those people are and, and getting, uh, getting and establishing or reestablishing uh, re contact with those, you know, um, Secretary Vilsack or soon to be Secretary Vilsack is quite familiar, um, during his time during the Obama administration. And so, um, <clears throat> having him, uh, you know, be part of it and coming from the U.S. Dairy Export Council, um, the, Past four years of you know being quite involved in uh, U.S. exports of, of and trade promotion of exports, so I think we can continue that. Um, and so as, as that as the administration looks to deal with with China and other trade issues, um, you know we'll do all we can to make sure they realize the the issues that we do have out there. Um, you know, as of right now, you know trade with China on agricultural products seems to be going forward. Um, wanting to make sure we maintain that, but to continue to work with China um, as we look to expand uh, that trade relationship um, even beyond the you know the, the two years of the of the phase one uh, trade agreement. So uh, you know just 
just constantly working with our uh, administration uh, here in DC, especially as they um, become appointed and confirmed. Uh, and uh, as as ongoing trade issues will, I'm sure, continue uh, even in the new administration um, on all products that we deal with, whether it's corn, um, you know, DDGS distiller dried grains. We have some trade issues, and even China, we still have the uh, the anti-dumping and countervailing duty case on U.S. DDGS to deal with there. Um, <clears throat> some of the, some of the ethanol trade issues that we have on in some major export markets. So all those discussions are are continuing to to, to go on, um, and we'll, we'll make sure the U.S. Grain Council and our members are are well heard on on those issues as far as they affect uh, feed grain and feed grain coal products. Kerry, let's end by talking about the importance of of Farmers in um, states that grow corn, and I'm thinking about Minnesota because uh, we're talking as part of our Minnesota Corn Growers podcast today, and having those farmers host overseas uh, buyers, potential buyers, repeat customers, you name it. How important is that to the work that USGC does? Uh, it's it's just extremely important, uh, you know, and the re- relationship that we have with Minnesota Corn. Um, to help do that, you know, we've, we had our, our, since, you know, a lot of, a lot of pro- our programming have, have gone virtual and we had our virtual grain exchange in place of our normal export exchange last October. And we had a couple of different, uh, virtual trade teams that visited, uh, Minnesota through Minnesota corn. Um, we're looking to continue to do that as we move into 2021. Um, you know, it'll, we don't see, uh, reopening of, of travel uh, internationally to happen uh, within the first half of 2021 uh, at least um, well hopefully maybe more as we get into later uh, parts of 2021 but looking to continue to do those kind of virtual trade teams in place of having actual face-to-face meetings but but even able to to see firsthand um, how corn is produced there in Minnesota the care that the farmers take um, in, in their operations um, and, and making sure their their farms are sustainable for future years, what they do to ensure quality both at the farmer level, um, but even as it starts to move through the uh, um, through the the marketing chain and the export chain, uh, even up in Minnesota, whether that's loading rail cars to go out to the Pacific Northwest to export facilities or loading corn on on the on the river, um, all the way up there at Savage on the tail end of the Minnesota River and down the Mississippi, and so uh, you know Minnesota corn being uh, being positioned to load uh, corn both by rail or by uh, or by barges, or even we you know we see um, DDGS or even some specialty corns loaded in containers at times. Uh, uh, just a, a key state for us uh, as we look at international market development, and really appreciate Minnesota's corn uh, working with the U.S. Grain Council, helping reach out. Uh, even even now to have those virtual meetings in place of face-to-face meetings. Carrie, anything else that you want to make sure we talk about today? Um, no, I mean, just, I guess, only just a, a real big appreciation um, to the Minnesota corn farmers that are part of Minnesota corn, um, both on the Minnesota Corn Growers Association and on the Minnesota Corn Research and Promotion Council um, that are, are member, that through that membership, the U.S. Grain Council allows us to, to do the programmings we have, to have our staff positions around the world, uh, whether that's China or Mexico, uh, Colombia or Egypt. And so without their support, uh, we wouldn't be able to do that. 
um, and really appreciate that. And I, you know, myself being from Minnesota originally, it really uh, hits home and appreciate the the, the uh, support we get from the Minnesota Corn Growers. Visit mncorn.org to learn more.